1: He's the only shelter from the coming storm.
2: Beloved, exercising every conceivable diligence to write to you concerning our common salvation, I had a compelling obligation to write to you, summoning you to strenuous effort on behalf of the faith, once and for all handed over to the holy ones, for certain men sneaked in, the ones already having been written about for this judgment, ungodly men who are perverting the grace of our God into lustful indulgence, and they are denying the only sovereign God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Let's pray. Lord, I hear what Jude has written, and I know it's true today. We have as I have watched, totally fallen asleep. There was a little stirring that you made in the Jesus movement, but it was rejected by many. And then the church was just overwhelmed with the wickedness of our day, and the people went to sleep. And they don't want to wake up. Lord, we have disgraced your grace. And I'm asking today, Jesus, would you wake us up? Would you bend us? Would you bend me? Lord, there has to be a change. We've all become very casual and laid back, going about our business, including you in it even, but not making you the very heart and center of everything we think about and everything we do. We're still concerned about the world, the flesh, the devil. Lord, I'm asking, please, in your mighty name, would you come with power and wake us up? Lord, what I'm commissioned by you to do is to put forward the call. The bridegroom is coming. Quickly, the bridegroom is coming. And yet, Lord, I know most do not want to wake up. And if they do wake up, they're going to have a very short time To fill their their cup with oil. To prepare for what's coming. For the collapse of the economy. For the bitterness of conflict. The bitterness of death. Destruction. The loss of everything. Lord, I know that most will be distracted by the world and the finances and will not even then understand that it's time to wake up. Lord, I know there has to come a change, yea, even in my own heart. And you've been calling me this way now, time after time, saying, Ray, be fully awake. Feed my people. Give them honest truth from the word. Wake them up, Ray. Lord, I trust you, and as you take my hand, I speak what you give me. It's not very pleasant, and I've lost many friends, many who have turned in anger away from this radio broadcast and this internet broadcast, even from me personally. They've been very angry. They don't want to wake up. They're comfortable. They're in their sleep. They're in the little bed. They roll over and cover their head with a pillow and say, I don't want to wake up. Be quiet, Pastor Ray. Don't talk about this anymore. Shut up. Go away. Leave me alone. Oh, Lord. It's going to only be by your grace that your people can wake up, and yet we have disgraced your grace by our slumber. And there are some, Lord, who are awake and who are earnest and they are searching after you, but, Lord, we are yet so far from where we need to be for the coming economic collapse the storm that is breaking over us, even as we pray before you today. Lord, tell us what to do. Tell us where to go. Lord, we're done sleeping. We're to sleep while it's night, but Lord, the day is breaking. You are coming in the clouds of glory. You will soon be here. This is the day of the Lord. Lord, bend us, bend me. Bend us, Lord, that we could repent and cry out to you and enter into that place with you where everything is set right, where righteousness rules, where we are sanctified fully where we walk away from all sin and all wickedness and have nothing more to do with it and are, are repulsed by sin and evil instead of being tempted by it, Lord. Lord Jesus, please come. I know many who listen to this broadcast on occasion are struggling because they don't want to wake up They want to roll over and go back to sleep. And Lord, you're saying, wake up, wake up. The dawn is here. The coming of Jesus is upon us. Please, Jesus. Would you come with power in your spirit? Thank you, my Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I want to first go to Hebrews. This is a passage that I'm sure you've heard, but I want to use this passage in the context of Matthew 24 and 25. I'm going to begin reading in Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Verse 11. Concerning whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull in your hearing, for indeed being obliged to be teachers because of the time, again, you have need of someone to teach you the fundamentals of the beginning of the oracle of God. In fact, you have become once having need of milk and not solid food. Now, the one enjoying milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is an infant but solid food is for the mature. Because of practice, the senses having been exercised to discern both good and evil, therefore having left the doctrine of the beginnings of the Christ, may we move on to perfection or to maturity, not again laying a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of teachings of baptisms and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we may do if indeed God may permit. Now to the ones having been enlightened, having both experienced the heavenly gift and having been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and having experienced the good, rhema from god and the powers of the coming age and then having fallen away it's impossible to renew them again to repentance as they are continuing to crucify to themselves the son of god and continuing to put him in open shame for the earth having drunk the rain often coming upon it and bringing forth vegetation unstable for those for whom it is being cultivated partake of a blessing from God, but the, but the producing thorns and thistles is useless and near a curse, and the end of which is for burning. But beloved ones, having been persuaded, consenting you with reference to better things, in fact, belonging to salvation, even though we speak in this manner, For God is not unrighteous to overlook your work and the labor of love which you have demonstrated for his name, having ministered to the holy ones and still ministering. What is the writer of Hebrews, which I believe was the Apostle Paul, what is he saying? I hear him saying that the immature, those needing just milk, they can't handle solid food. That is, they cannot handle sanctification, righteousness. These words are not even used in the modern church. The modern church doesn't talk about sin, they don't talk about being made righteous. They don't talk about holiness. They don't give solid food. And so there are no mature in the modern church. They've never exercised their senses to be able to discern both good and evil. This is what The brother of Jesus is saying is happening in the church in his day, and also speaking about the coming age, the coming age that is the age which we are now in. And so we come to Matthew, the 24th chapter. I'm going to read this for you. I'm going to begin in verse 36. Now about that day, a specific day, up to this time he's been talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and also the coming of Jesus and what it's going to be like at the last day. But now he's speaking about that day. That is, he's speaking about the final day of earth's history. And he's describing what's going to happen and what it's going to be like. About that day and hour. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, except the Father only. But just as the days of Noah were, so it will be even at the coming of the Son of Man. What was it like during the last days of Noah? Well, it's clear in the book of Genesis it was a time of extreme wickedness. It was a time of the demonic. It was a time of cannibalism it was a time of the nephilim and giants who were cannibals it was a time of extreme wickedness of ungodliness of violence violence on every hand senseless murder and killing and robbery it was a time of extreme sexual perversion It was a time of utter darkness. It was a time of sodomy. It was a time of whatever you want to do, go ahead and do it. You can do it. It's fine. Verse 38, For as they were in the days before the flood, eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, That is, they thought everything was going to continue as it always had. Until the day Noah entered into the ark and they knew not until the flood came and swept away every person, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So in other words, Jesus is going to come again and it's going to be in a time of great judgment and death and sorrow. There are some of you who are still convinced that God has unconditional love. I want to disabuse you of that idea. He has unfailing love for his people, but he is also a God of extreme wrath, anger. Wrath in the scripture as described in Romans, the first chapter, is not passive wrath, it is active wrath. It is, I am coming for you to destroy you because of your wickedness. This is what is going to happen with the God of heaven. At that time, two men will be in the field. One is taken and the other is left. Two are grinding at the mill. One is taken and one is left. In other words, God is going to judge between men and between women, between boys and girls. So you must keep on being watchful because you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So the Lord is saying, look, I want you to be alert to what's happening. Do not go to sleep. Be awake. Don't settle into the comfort of this world. Be separate. Come out from among them and touch no unclean thing. And I will receive you as a son. Verse 43. But you must know this. If the master of the house had known in what watch the thief is coming, he would have watched and not permitted his house to be broken into. For this reason you must also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you are not expecting. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master appointed over his household servants to give them food at the proper time? He's describing pastors. They have been appointed over the household of God to give proper food at the proper time, to give nourishing food. According to Hebrews, to cause people to be able to understand the difference between milk and meat. to chew on the meat until they know the difference between good and evil in their senses. Blessed is that servant whom his master, having come, will find so doing. Truly I say to you that he will appoint him over all his possessions. But if that evil servant may say in his heart, my master is delaying to come, And he may begin to beat the fellow servants and to eat and drink with the ones being drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day that the experts, that he expects it not. And at that hour that he knows not. So in other words, the Lord is saying, look, at the end of time, I'm going to come. And you better be watching. And pastors you better be feeding your congregation the truth about righteousness and holiness. And you better not tell them that they can walk into heaven's gate while being sinners. They're going to have to be crucified with me. If you look carefully at the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, you must be crucified with Christ. The old man, the old nature is destroyed You no longer walk in sin before Almighty God. You walk clean and holy because you belong to another land and to another person, and the devil has no authority over you any longer. It says he will punish him with utmost severity and will appoint his portion with the hypocrites. Why with the hypocrites? Because the pastors say We're the servants of Jesus, but they're hypocrites if they don't teach righteousness and holiness and sanctification. They're hypocrites. That's what Jesus is calling them. Now he says, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth will be there. In other words, when Jesus comes, he is going to find that the pastors have not been feeding the flock of God, the truth of Scripture. They have misused it, as Jude talks about in the first chapter of Jude, as he expresses his concern with pastors who have slipped in, who are interested only in their own good. They're they're not servants of God, they're hirelings. They're there for the money, for the lifestyle, for the prestige and the power. They don't feed God's people the truth. They they give them wonderful little sermons about this and that. But they don't teach them how to live holy before God. They teach that you cannot live holy before God. And Jesus is angry about that. Now, I want you to see that all that I'm saying has nothing to do with the world. It has to do with the church. It has to do with what Jesus sees going on in the church. He's saying there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It'll be there in the church. Now, he goes on. And now in the chapter 25, which is not separate, because remember... Chapters and verses were put into the Bible much later. Matthew did not write a division between the end of chapter 24 and the beginning of chapter 25. They run together. Then, the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins. What does the then refer to? the end of chapter 24, where the pastors are not feeding the people the gospel of Jesus. They're feeding them on Twinkies, cotton candy. They're not feeding them on the meat of the gospel. Then, while this is going on, while the pastors are not taking care of God's flock. Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who, having taken their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, is there any distinguishing mark yet between the ten bridegrooms? No. I'm sorry, between uh, between the ten virgins? No. They are all saying, we are going to meet the bridegroom. All Christians today would say, hey, I'm on my way to heaven. But they will not all get to heaven. Jesus says in this chapter, he's going to divide the church right down the middle. Half will not make it. I want you to see what distinguishes the church. What separates the church? Five of them were wise, that is, five made preparation, and five were foolish, that is, five did not make preparation ahead of time. They who were foolish, having taken their lamps, took no oil with them, that is, they had no capacity to understand the deep things of God. Many of you, if you're going to church at all, are going to church where you are never struck with arrows of conviction over your sin. You're never confronted with any wickedness in your life. You go and you have a little inspiration and a little entertainment and then you leave And you've had your box checked. You have no capacity in your heart to understand the deep things of God. You have no understanding of how to separate good and evil. And so you keep falling back. You keep falling back. You go forward. You begin to wake up a little bit. You say, well, it's morning, I guess. But you know what? I'm going to roll over and take another hour of sleep. I don't want to wake up yet. I'm I'm having a wonderful dream. Jesus is saying half of the church is functioning that way at the end of time. Asleep, confident they're going to heaven, but they have no depth. They have no true understanding of righteousness or sanctification or holiness. They don't spend time every day reading the word. They don't soak in prayer in the presence of God. They don't cry out over their own, their own shallow heart. They don't cry out, Lord, bend me. These Christians don't bend except to the darkness They bend and bow to the entertainment of the day. But they don't bend and bow to Jesus our Lord. He goes on. He says, the bridegroom has delayed his coming and they became drowsy. And they went to sleep. Now I've watched as the whole American church has gone to sleep in my lifetime. Drowsy and sleepy. You try to talk to them and they say, that's not what I believe, pastor. It's not what my pastor says. I don't want to believe that. Some of you want to believe in a secret rapture where suddenly you're going to be whisked away to heaven and your clothes are all going to still be there. Did you know that's not found anywhere in the scriptures? It's not in the word of God. It's in the imagination of men. It's not there. Now, if you continue to read in Revelation, the sixth chapter, as you continue to read forward, understanding what the four horses of the apocalypse are, they're there to prepare God's people to cause them to want to leave this world and this earth. And then you continue reading and the death begins to flow and the persecution begins to take place. I just read about an Amish farm about 150 miles from Washington, D.C., up in Pennsylvania. A SWAT team hit them. $300,000 in fines, which of course they don't have the money to pay. It'll cause them to lose their farm. Why would they do such a thing? Well, simply because the Amish live a humble, organic life. They prepare food the way they believe God has instructed them to prepare it. They don't use gas motors, gasoline. They don't use electricity. They have horse-drawn implements. But the government wants to be in control of the food. It Doesn't want the Amish to feed people. Oh, they might get sick. They didn't seem to be that concerned, did they, about the vaccine? But they're very concerned about maybe some cottage cheese might have a little bit of sour in it. It's just utterly foolish. It's... It's the beast power rising and exercising its ability to harm. Please understand, if they're coming for the Amish, they're going to come for the Christians next. And we're told that in the fourth horse of the apocalypse, death will spread and persecution will come. And if you continue reading, you read, there comes then the great day of the Lord. I can tell you this, Jesus is not going to slip in unnoticed and suddenly people are going to disappear. Jesus doesn't sneak around. He's going to come in glory and in power and every eye will see him. They will be terrified of him and he will take his people home. He will come again on a white horse at the end of time and he will come with all of his people riding on white horses and he will use the sword of his mouth to slay the wicked. All who fight against him. You understand God does not slip around unnoticed. He is going to fill the sky and every eye will see him. That's what Jesus said as lightning from the east to the west. Every eye will see Jesus come and he's coming very soon. Now in the middle of the night, verse six, a cry has come. Look, the bridegroom is coming. You must go out to meet him. That's the cry of this broadcast. Jesus is coming again. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again. You must prepare. You have a very, very short time. He has awakened me, and he is awakening others, and he wants to awaken you to a singular, total commitment to Jesus. Romans, the 12th chapter, to be on the altar of sacrifice as a living martyr before Jesus, utterly given to him. He wants us to wake up. I want you to wake up with me. I want us to be awake. I want us to carefully look at these issues of of sanctification. You know what the church says today? Sanctification is the work of a lifetime and when you die you're still going to be a sinner then you were not sanctified and you cannot go to heaven. Now I agree we all make mistakes. John Wesley taught that very clearly and I find that in the word. But we do not all deliberately sin against the Almighty God. There is not rebellion in our heart. And according to 1 John, sin is rebellion. And to be rebellion, it must be volitional. It must be voluntary. You must agree with it. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, is saying we must know the difference between evil and righteousness. And we must have our senses trained to very quickly determine what is right and what is wrong. And then to walk in that. In the middle of the night, we are in the middle of the night right now We are in the dark hour. Wickedness has abounded around us. There's a midnight cry. I'm bringing that midnight cry to you today. Wake up. I know some of you are going to say, Pastor, I'm afraid to wake up because if I wake up, I'm going to have to do something. And I'm afraid to do anything. I'm comfortable right where I'm at now. I don't want to move. I think about all the people who are in Oregon and Washington and California. I've read the government studies that say there's going to be a great tsunami. And many are going to be swept into the ocean and millions of people will die. Do you think people would bestir themselves to move out of the area? Oh, no, it's not going to happen in my time. Pastor, nothing's going to happen. Right. Is that what your science tells you? Is that what your government agencies are telling you? No, they're putting up signs saying tsunami warning. Tsunami escape route. If you, in those few minutes available, are able to get out of the house soon enough, but you're going to say Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. I can't go now. I have to get my cat. I have to get my dog. I have to pack my suitcase. I have to, I have to. That's what's going to happen when Jesus comes. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, the bridegroom is coming. You must go out to meet him. And then all those virgins are awakened and they And they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Please give us out of your oil, for our lamps are going out. What's it mean to trim the lamps? It means to cut off all the fluff, all of that part that does not allow the fire to burn brightly, to give you a clear, clean light. Everything in the way. It means you're going to have to clear out of your life everything that stands in the way of the clear flow of the oil of the Holy Spirit in your life and in your heart. But the scripture is saying that half of the church, they won't have any oil because they have no capacity to understand righteousness, holiness, they're still what they call a sinning Christian. Oh, I'm just doing the best I can do. I, I, I can't do any more than I'm doing. Oh, yes, you can. You can get on the altar and you can sacrifice your life for Jesus Christ. You can be crucified with him. You can give up your arrogant excuses and do what God is calling you to do, which is to leave this world the flesh and the devil to not touch them anymore but to come out and be separate and repent of your wickedness to cry before God bend me bend me please give us out of your oil I can't give you my oil I can't give you my righteousness I can't give you the holiness that God has put in my soul. I can't give that to another. It's something that God must do inside of you. Now, it's not by works. It's by faith in Jesus. And that faith works. If that faith does not work to purify your life, to cleanse you from all uncleanness. It's not God's faith. It's your faith. its I'm almost shy of saying this. If your faith does not purify you, if it does not wash and cleanse you, if it doesn't call you into the heart of God, it's occult faith. It's flesh faith. That's what's most popular in the church today. It's divination faith. Many of those so-called prophets who come preaching God's prosperity for you, they're just prophets of the devil who bring divination into your life to confuse you and to please your flesh, to keep you asleep. Please give us out of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not when there are may not be enough for us and for you. Instead, you must go, and you must go to the one selling, and you must buy for yourselves. But while they were going away to buy for themselves, the bridegroom came. And the ones who were ready went in with him to the wedding celebration. And the door was shut. I don't want to say this to you, but I must to be faithful to Jesus. Many of you who have not made preparation to know the difference between good and evil. Many of you who have not been under the discipline of God in the prayer closet. In the reading of the word, in putting Jesus first in your life. Many of those of you who have attended church regularly, you've paid perhaps even your tithes and offerings. But Jesus has never been first priority for you. Always it's been your family, your kids, your pets, your job, your vacations, your entertainment. It's always been something else that has captured your time and your attention. You're going to come to this day and you're going to find the door of heaven shut against you and you will not be able to enter into heaven even though you call yourself a Christian. Hell is going to be full of Christians who only wanted the cotton candy Jesus who were never willing to pay the price to gain righteousness, understanding, to leave their sin, to overcome. Every one of the seven churches spoken of in the first chapters of the book of Revelation says you must overcome or you will not enter in. To overcome means there is a battle. It means there's a fight. You're going to have to engage in that fight or you will find yourself one day shut out of the kingdom of heaven and you will not be allowed to enter those pearly gates. You will be left behind to die in the wrath of God. You don't have a lot of time. Every waking moment you need to spend getting ready to go to heaven. You need to spend every waking moment searching after Jesus and learning how to distinguish between what is good and what is evil in your heart and in your life. And with loud cries to Jesus, Ask for that total deliverance from every bondage of the past, every fear, every bitterness and anger, every lie, every ounce of being a coward, every pleasing bone in your body. You must deal with it before the Son of God in the prayer closet. Some of you are so concerned, so concerned, so stressed about your job, but you have no concern for Jesus Christ. You have no concern for your salvation. Because some preacher told you, oh, you're saved, just just say a little sinner's prayer and you're good to go. Well, those are the men spoken of in the book of Jude. They're lying to you. You will not go to heaven that way. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable. Later, the other virgins, that is those who had to go and try to buy oil, also came saying, Master, Master, please open the door to us. But having answered, he said, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. So you must watch because you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So he's saying to us in the parable, get ready. He says the most painful thing. He says, I never knew you. How can you be a Christian but not know Jesus? How can you be a Christian and not know Jesus? Well, the word know means to have intimacy with, like a husband and wife, intimate, one. Jesus is looking for those men and women who will be crucified with him who will lay their life down before him, who will surrender to him, and who will allow themselves to be disciplined, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, allow themselves to be taught the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. Righteousness just means innocence. To be taught the difference between innocence and guilt to choose to be on the side of the innocent, to choose to be with Jesus. Please hear me as we close this broadcast today. This is all very, very personal with Jesus. And he is watching whether you will wake up or roll over and go back to sleep, whether you will disgrace the grace he has offered to you. Oh, my brother my sister, wake up. Well, we're almost out of time for the broadcast today. We're coming to the end of the month, and I very much need to hear from many of you. We're still a long way from being ready to meet the bill for this month's radio. I haven't heard from quite a few of you. I know it's August and many are on vacation. Please write to me at Pastor Ray Greenlee National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. That's Pastor Ray Greenley, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, literally, at the end of every month, I have to write a check and pay for the radio. We pay every day a set amount, and we have 23 broadcast days this month, which means it's the biggest bill of the, of the year. Now you can also give online by going to nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com You're welcome to come and worship with us on Sunday in Woodbridge, Virginia. nationalprayerchapel.com God bless you. I love you talk to you soon.